And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Fitness tests before Prime Minister's questions, gracious tweets about the success of rival clubs, the psychological jungle of injury time, the horror of someone with younger, quicker legs turning up to the weekly five-a-side, people leaving games with two minutes still to go, the intense irritation of sitting next to a fan who commentates through the game, and Sakir Starmer's pro tomato ketchup manifesto. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 127 of the Football Clichés podcast. I am Adam Hurry and with me first of all is The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook. How are you doing? Yeah, good thanks Adam. Very special Mesut Harland dicks for everyone today. With us is Labour Party Supremo, leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. Welcome to Football Clichés, Keir. Uh, thank you very much for having me. This is by far the highlight of my week. <laughs> you can't say that. But by a long can. shot, I can say that. It absolutely is. <laughs> Delighted to that well um you're completing a prestigious double you're the first football cliches guests to be on desert island discs and mesert harland dicks so, is that right the yeah. first oh look at that, that that's some act to follow isn't it? it certainly is i've always wanted to um i've always wanted to grill a member of parliament um <laughs> because um if i can just dip into politics cliches for a moment there are only two ways you can ask questions to a politician it's either grilling them which is essentially your job, or quizzing them, which is when you really need to start to worry because that means you've done something very terrible. Yeah, yeah. And then the headline will, after you've been grilled or quizzed, will always be you've been skewered. Skewered. Or roasted. Um, <laughs> and a number of times I've read that I've been roasted or skewered or actually grilled. Um, so it's quite, quite interesting to, to, to find out when you've been skewered. Well, we'll see what transpires for the next uh, best part of an hour. Um, just to pick up on your performance at PMQs on Wednesday. Now, I'm not denying the democratic importance of Prime Minister's <laughs> questions, but it does occasionally become something of a spectator sport for some. The whole image of this kicked off with a, a tweet that I saw that says, Keir Starmer has tested negative for COVID this morning. He will face Boris Johnson at PMQs this lunchtime. Team news for PMQs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, well, the week before, um, it was like the, the, the team sheets where it's got, you know, who's playing and then underneath it has, you know, Starmer, open brackets, COVID or... or- <laughs> test rather than me or thigh or whatever it may be but this yeah, half, half past six in the morning 
just before PMQ's testing, I needed a double negative to get out and get onto mm. the pitch. Um, and and through it came about half past six. So there was a little bit of a celebration around the kitchen, I have to say, at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you passed your fitness test. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm back out, which was which, and it was great to be back on the pitch yesterday. Jack, I had this image of uh, of Kia sort of walking through the central lobby in slow motion, <laughs> high fiving a comedy dinosaur on his way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much it's the kind of thing that in football world would be reported as we've seen him getting off the bus. We've seen him getting off the bus outside PMQs. The Arsenal fans there are asking for. Grass. Yeah, yeah. Well, you must see the other news, which is, of course, uh, the prime minister, my opponent, was 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 bust in lying on the floor of his car, so he couldn't be seen. <laughs> it, it, it would have been really good entry shots for the for the game yesterday. PMQs, so me getting off the bus, victorious, but hold, probably holding my COVID test <laughs> in the uh, in the in, in the sky, and uh, and Johnson um, hiding on the floor of his car. The football theme continued. After a feisty start to PMQs, I, I really enjoyed this great bit of refereeing from Lindsay Hoyle right at the start, which which he got dangerously close to football terminology with. Oh, we're just going to play you a clip. Is he now going to do the decent thing and resign? Yes. Well, uh, Mr. Speaker, it, it is. Hancock went. I think somebody will be going for an early cup of tea as well. Can I just say, the question's being asked. I want to know the answer. Your constituents want to know the answer. I don't need any extra help either. So please, Prime Minister. Fascinated by the idea of an early cup of tea being yeah. the, uh, the marching orders uh, in the House of Commons. Yeah, although I, I just when I'm watching that clip again, I, I'm thinking of the, the, the football fans' version of will you do the decent thing and resign. <laughs> well, I should have said you're getting sacked in the morning. Oh, yes! <laughs> now, now Nick, we'll watch out for next week. Yeah, please do. That, honestly, it <laughs> would be a highlight of many people's uh, political careers. Well, you're here for one thing and one thing only. This is Mesut Harland Dix with Sir Keir Starmer. Everybody knows the format by now. Our guests will choose three three things that fascinate them about the game of football and three things that simply irritate them as well. You're going to introduce your selections for us. This is actually the most comprehensive list of Mesut Harland Dick selections we've ever received. Were, you, were these sort of milling around your head at PMQs on Wednesday? Yeah, that's what I was really thinking about. I was, <laughs> I was, I was thinking, because the negative test, of course, also, uh, because we've got a derby against Tottenham this weekend, you know, the, lots of things tied up in that COVID test, way beyond part PMQs. Uh, because uh, I was, uh, I'm going to the Arsenal Tottenham game on uh, on Sunday, so there's a lot tied up in that. Tell us about the, your first fascination of football, then, please. The, the, the first thing on my likes list is just the ritual of going to the game. There's obviously there's the, the time you're sitting there in the stand watching the game, but it's everything almost that happens before that that is as important in, in a way as the as the game. And for me, I've got a, a group of mates that we all go together. We've been sitting together for a long time, people I've known for, for a very, very long time now. And we've got the ritual of meeting in the pub, having a pint, the usual thing about the score prediction and then walking to the ground. And it's about a 10, 15 minute walk towards the Arsenal ground. Mm -hmm. And it's just the, the, the routine, the rhythm, doing that same thing every time we go to a match, always meeting the same place, <laughs> always the same banter, almost the same jokes. And, and there's something like, you know, the, the stadium is sort of drawing people in from all around as you all walk, to, uh, uh, and that's all part of that ritual. But the, the sort of brilliant addition in recent years has been that 
Uh, my boy now comes with me. He's now 13. And just this season really started my, my little girl as well, who's 11. Okay. So they're introduced to this and they're they're enjoying it. And one of the guys we meet in the pub is one of my oldest and best friends. And his son now goes with him. His son is now 22. My son, 13. And just to see my son and his son walking in front of us, going down to the game, it's just a brilliant part of what football is all about. And, and, the, and watching the, the kids get interested in and fascinated by meaningless banter. <laughs> uh, and, and all of that is the huge part of it for me. Meaningless banter is the glue that holds it all together, isn't it, Jack? Surely. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be football without it. Um, kid, do you find that as, as you've got older, do you, are you kind of into Arsenal in the same way or have you got a bit of distance from it? No, oh, no I'm into it in the, in, in the same way. And just to be absolutely clear, in my work diary here, every single Arsenal game is in the diary to make sure that if possible, uh, I can organise events so we don't clash them. Now, it's much more difficult now um, because I've got a lot of work on to get to the games in the way that I used to. But no, it, the, the pull is still there, even more so in a way, because it's such a great release from yeah. work and all the other pressures. So no, I'm afraid that the flame burns still very, very strongly. The, everything about going to the game, the walking to the game, even... even uh, uh, <laughs> But you go up inside the stadium, upstairs, I mean, we're, we're in the upper tier. Moments, the glimpse you get as you come up a few steps and you then see the pitch for the first time, the green Absolutely. smell. Um, and it's in, you know, obviously I've done it, I don't know how many times, but every time I have that moment when you first glimpse the pitch. And obviously during lockdown, we couldn't go to games for ages and ages and ages. And I actually, the first game I went to after the lockdown restrictions was the um, England-Scotland game in the Euros. Oh, right, yeah. I, I think I was... So that's obviously Wembley. And the intensity of the... Seeing the pitch, the smell, everything, all those sort of things that you miss, the smell, the feel, the look. Yeah. Well, and I, because I hadn't done it for how many months? 18 months or so. It was really much more powerful. So absolutely love it. It's, it I've, I've loved football since um, I first found out about football. And... Um, hopefully it'll never go away. And Keir, when did you, um, when and how did you start supporting Arsenal? Would it, do you remember the, was it 71 double? It was way back um, at school, but it, I particularly got into it. After I went to uni, um, I came back and started living in North London where I've been ever since. And that was about 80. So I started going regularly to, to, to actually go to the game about 86, 87, because then I was living quite close to the old Arsenal stadium. And you could decide at lunchtime that you're going to go to the game in the afternoon mm. yeah. down to Highbury and pay, uh, go to the turnstile and stand and watch. And started supporting years and years and years ago, but actually the intensity of going to the games and being able to go to the games was really once I started living in North London and being able to go to the old stadium. Do you have good memories of the old Highbury Stadium? I do. It, you know, it was, it's a fantastic stadium, brilliant building, brilliant atmosphere, etc. And of course, some of the old traditions still carry across. So there's the North Bank going off, still the clock end, etc. But I do like the new stadium. I, you know, I, I, I love the new stadium as well. And we only got season tickets when we were up to the new, new stadium. So there's a special plus there for us. It means we can go to every game. Now, football fandom is is a very wholesome way to kick this off. And uh, I, I'm, now, I'm now left in no doubt about your football fan credentials. Not that anyone should have to prove them, of course. But I am particularly fascinated by how politicians in particular have to manage their footballing allegiances alongside their public role. And 
there's one very modern football fan ritual that that even you subscribe to. And what I really, I really actually quite appreciate this. It's your sustained run of gracious tweeting after high-profile successes for rival clubs. Yeah. Um, let me offer you a few examples of these because um, it really is, it really is consistently brilliant. Always hard to say as an Arsenal fan, but huge congratulations to Chelsea. So this was after they won the Champions League. I'm an Arsenal fan, but well played Wolves tonight. Great result. This is just so gracious of you. I'm an yeah, Arsenal yeah, fan, I... but huge, well deserved congratulations to Liverpool after they won the Champions League. This is this is very even handed of you. I'm very proud. Yeah. There was no. I, I, I'm glad you noticed that. There was one. I, I, it must have been two or three years ago. Now I can't remember when Liverpool played in Europe, and they were absolutely brilliant. Mm. Uh, must have been the second leg. This was in the Barcelona game, yeah. This and it was. I remember watching that, thinking, "This is really fantastic football." And I'm, I'm one of those fans um, that also always wants the the UK club to win. If we're okay, so I, so I saw Liverpool that night and put the tweet up, and then I think it was blowing me the next night. Tottenham were playing, and they had an equally impossible job to win, um, and they went on a one as well. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll put a tweet up about them. That did I did get a lot of incoming for that. I have to say, <laughs> as an Arsenal fan, but both of them played brilliantly. Jack, I do. I, I really actually quite like the modern custom of this kind of full disclosure at the start of a sentence that I, I, know, I support this team but well done to the other lot as well yeah yeah you've got to have the caveat yeah what um, I also like about these tweets here is that they do show that you must watch an awful lot of football like I think we looked up before that Wolves game Adam was that a uh, the a last Euro- 16 of the Europa League but I would watch any football I would actually I'm the sort of person who'd walk across a park and if there's a game going on I would inevitably go to the touchline and watch for a bit what was happening. If there's a game of football on, I'm always wanting to watch it. Would you instinctively take sides the moment you cast eyes on a football game? Nearly always. Nearly always. There's something imperceptible that you would choose as, as the clincher. Well, I mean, whenever I'm watching the Premier League, I'm always, I'm always thinking which is the best result for Arsenal. Yeah, fair enough. I'm afraid. Uh, so that means I switch allegiances quickly and, and rapidly, depending on who's above below us in the table but uh, that's normally the fact but I, you know I would watch any football okay Keir let's let's hear about your second fascination of football please the second one is well, I know this sounds odd but the goal and especially the goal in a tense game particularly the goal in injury time that, right. um, you know there are so many examples you know Michael Thomas uh, for us the greatest example of an injury mm. goal ever in my view um, away at Liverpool that moment but but that moment, if you're a football fan and everybody is a football fan and goes to games knows this, a lot of the time you're putting up with a lot of football that is really doing you. You're not playing well, it's mediocre, it's going backwards, it's going sideways, you're on a bad run. There's a lot of pain in being a football mm. And then when there's a goal, particularly a, a goal in a tense game, injury time, whatever it is, suddenly the whole stadium remembers why it's there because everybody, it's like there's a magnet in the sky above the stadium. (laughs) The choreography is brilliant because simultaneously the whole stadium goes up. Everybody goes up at the same time. And and it's like this simple, brilliant reminder of why we're here. We're here to see this, this brilliant goal. And it makes all those hours and hours and hours of watching football that isn't that good uh, come to light. And, you know, moments are not as often as I like, but they are a brilliant reminder of why we're there, what we're doing. And and then and then there's a special, I mean, the Michael Thomas one was so special. Mm. Um, I actually, I bumped into, M- Michael Thomas came to Parliament about two months ago. I can't believe oh, right. it. 
there's there's an area we have that's sort of restaurant cafe area, and he was in there because I think he's now involved in some work for players who get into financial difficulties after they stop playing or get ripped off. I think it is. I can't remember. I see. And then he came across to say hello to me. <laughs> oh really goodness me! Moment. It's like. You're my hero, and you've just come to me to say hello to me as leader of Labour Party. Whereas it's me that's sort of fawning and thinking, "My God, that's Michael Thomas." So um, it was a very, very special moment. Did you say it's up for grabs now? As you shook his hand? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I forgive you. I forgive you. Keir, when I saw this, it made me think of, do you remember that goal that uh, the Danny Welbeck header against Leicester oh, in yes. February 2016? It, it felt to me like Arsenal fans at that point, from, because of the timing of that goal more than anything else, Arsenal fans kind of convinced themselves that you were going to win the league. <laughs> We've done quite a lot of that over the years. Yeah, it, there are those moments when you think, this is it, this is the turning point. But um, rarely does it actually prove to be the turning point. But it's... It, it, it is the spontaneous way in which people just get up. That, that everybody, it's the same movement. Everybody mm. stand up, hands in the, uh, and then you know, congratulating everybody around you, um, whoever they are. Um, it's just fantastic. Okay, on the flip side, what's the biggest sickener you can remember? I think in terms of late goals Arsenal conceded, the 2011 Carling Cup final against Birmingham. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> the look on his face. Oh, it was, that was that was. Terrible. Although, I mean, you know, a, a more recent example would be Man City the other day. We played brilliantly in the first half and I thought we were going to lose badly because City are playing so well. Played absolutely brilliantly. Stupid decisions, stupid sending off. Then holding on for dear life. And, you know, then we got into injury time. It was because a long way. And then go and let one in in injury time. You know, so you've got plenty of old examples and, and, and actually a pretty recent one. Right then, let's hear about your third fascination of football, please, Keir. Um, this one, this probably should have been the first one, which is playing. I love it. Yeah, of course. I love it. Um, and I've played, you know, all my life. Um, I used to play two or three times a week when I was growing up and then at college, etc. But I love playing. There's something about playing football that is just brilliant. There's nothing like going onto a pitch to play football. I used to play 11 aside a lot and for a team called Homerton Academicals. <laughs> oh, lovely stuff, yes. Uh, yeah, well, you'll love the other names as well. In the, we, we had this league, we had Brixton Munch and Gladbach, <laughs> uh, Clyde, uh, Who Dares Wednesday, had a, this bunch of really, really great teams in a, uh, in a Sunday league. It's absolutely brilliant. But obviously there comes a point where playing 90 minutes on grass is too hard and it was I mean it's also used to take the whole day to go wherever we're going to play football so then I sort of retired to eight aside and five aside which I still do and it's just brilliant there's nothing like it because the moment you start playing nobody gives a damn what you do for a living no mm. gives a damn about anything else than are you a decent player and are you decent in the sense of decent on the pitch um, it's it's an incredible leveler and there's just bits and bobs from every walk of life playing and um, friends, cousins, sons, you name it, um, all um, make, mixing in for a game. Now you say that um, you say that people don't really care about what you do as a, for a living when you're playing football. You know, everyone's it's, it's great lever and everyone's in it together. But no, with all due respect, the thing about MPs playing football, like many things that MPs allegedly get up to, I'm I'm ready to believe that it goes on, but I'm afraid it is slightly absurd. 
there's something slightly too referee about MPs in general. I just, I, I can't picture them playing football. And then when I'm shown pictures of them playing football, they look ridiculous. I don't think I look ridiculous, but when I just, <laughs> the, when, when I describe the way I play, all the guys I play with start texting me saying, you know, in your head, in your dreams, or 20 years ago, maybe. So there's all of that. But uh, I mean, for me, I get very competitive, I'm afraid. I, 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 I do not subscribe to this argument that it's the playing that counts and it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Sorry, I don't buy that. If I'm on a football pitch, I'm on it to win. And that is the only thing. Um, and and and, you know, and the guys I've been playing with, I've known for years and years and years. There's a lot of banter as well that goes mm. pitch. You know, if I blast it over the bar, you can get all sorts of comments about that's like your last PMQs or, you know, Far too far to the right, or far too far to the left. So there's, it, 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 it's brilliant. And then you know, and then you get gut, people bring their son, sons along, and, and it's a real reminder because <laughs> as you get older, in your head you're saying to yourself, oh, "I'm still all right. I'm not going to pitch. I've still got it." And then someone says, "Oh, my my 15 or 16 year old, you know, we're short one week. Anybody got? Uh, well, my boy will come and play." And then you get this you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old, really fast, really skillful, and you're sort of left in the middle of the pitch thinking, oh, my God. This yes, is- that happens to us all, I can, that, I can that, assure you. That, yeah, that, that dream has been shattered again. Kids, do, you, do you play with other people in politics? No. These are the, the, pe- the people I now play with. Uh, people I, one of the guys I went to school with, went to uni with, people have been mates over the years, people knocked around, you know, in flats with, and then it's mates and mates and mates and mates. I mean, there's always this interesting question, which is how on earth did so-and-so start playing with us? And it'll be, oh, well, so-and-so was short and they had a brother mm. and they had staying. And so there's this collection. And there's a brilliant book by James Brown, which you may know, um, Overhead High. Mm. So James plays a game before us on a Sunday. Right. So he's coming off the pitch when we come on. But what he says in that book is absolutely brilliant. He says... You know, I've got mates, you know, Little Nick or uh, French G, whatever it may be. And and he says, I feel I've had a, and I feel like I've had a relationship with these guys for, you know, longer than some of the relationships I've had in real life. And I, I, a lot of them, I don't know the second name. So, you know, Little Nick, well, uh, and they're just known by that. We've got one fellow we play with, it's called Blocker. because, <laughs> And it's like, when, when it comes to... He sounds useful. I remember when, when he got married and people say, what is his name? <laughs> it's it's that brilliant mix of people who are only there because they love playing and in their heads they're great players and they're enjoying it. We were hoping that you might be able to name names on who the best and worst footballers are in in politics. I've heard Andy yeah. Burnham's pretty good. You see, I've ne- I've genuinely never really played with other politicians because my football's never been bound up with my politics. It came mm. way before um, and. I prefer to play with the guys I've always played with. So, um, but and 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 he's certainly is uh, told me many many times just how good he is. So um, I have no reason to doubt that. Of course, this this worries me. If if you're going to divorce your your political work from your football playing, does that mean we're not going to have a kind of Blair and Keegan moment of you playing head tennis with a with a Premier League manager at some point? Well, you never know. You never know. But that would just go hopelessly wrong, wouldn't it? The you- pressure. Pressure. Be like, it's like being unveiled at the Bernabeu or something. It must be terribly difficult to perform in front of... Some yeah, but the, what, what you get now, it, you know, people, whenever because I, I like to go to football pitches when I'm um, um, in grounds, when I'm out and about politically, mm. Accrington, Stanley and places like that. I'll, I'll always go if I can to the football ground, wherever we are. 
And then, you know, I'm normally in a suit, et cetera, and somebody don't go and have a kickabout. There's nothing worse than, you know, a politician in a suit having a kickabout uh, on the pitch. It, <laughs> it really doesn't work. Would your, would your football playing sort of transcend your, your current humble surroundings? I mean, would you play soccer aid, for example? I feel, like, I feel like that's the next step. I don't know. I've never been asked. I don't know. Oh. Uh, I don't know. There's a plea. We asked, we asked our listeners for, um, there are a few caricatures here, but we asked our listeners for their kind of typical five-a-side characters, the sort of players that you consistently come up against. Gary Sterling says, always the guy who looks like he weighs about 20 stone and brushes his teeth with Stella, who has a phenomenal touch and you just can't get the ball off or past him. That does seem to be kind of a regular theme, just a gigantic guy who's technically much better than he looks. There's that kind of guy and then... As you get older, there's the kind of guy who is uh, a bit overweight, but reasonably fit, but has lost the ability to stop quickly mm. once the momentum up. So they get rushing towards the <laughs> And just at the moment, they should pull out or slow down. They don't. And the, the, the clatter, and it, it's the sort of momentum uh, of that player. It just takes them straight into the back or the front or the side of whoever the other player is. This is the one thing they didn't tell you about getting older, is it actually really hurts to slow down. Let alone yeah, speed yeah. up. It's horrendous. It really is. It's it's like running downhills uh, worse than running uphill, which you think mm. is a man to say when you're younger, but then you really do it. One particularly age-proof quality, as described by Craig Blackhall here, he says the worst five-a-side archetype is the cross-country runner. No technique whatsoever. Possibly plays in completely inappropriate footwear. Is always right in your face whenever you get the ball with legs swinging. Turns the game into a farce by constantly winning and losing the ball. I hate people who simply can't play football playing football with you. It's annoying. Yeah. Go away. Yeah, uh, and, and that's the person who normally ends up in front of goal and sort of twists the leg at some weird angle and hoiks it way up yeah. there. Um, yeah. No apparent reason. It's mm. uh, they've, they've, but there are plenty of that. that yeah, that cross country runner. I get that. Is uh, there a diplomatic way of getting rid of these people? If so, can you let me know? <laughs> Depends how short you are. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> True. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Oh, look 
Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Welcome back to Football Clichés. Our guest for Meza Harland Dix this time is the ritualistic, injury-time, fetishising, five-a-side midfield general, Sir Keir Starmer. We've done the easy bit, Keir. You've celebrated your three footballing fascinations, but now it's time to unload your trio of footballing irritations. Where do we start? We start with the fans who leave early <laughs> with about four or five minutes to go. Okay. understood this. Um, you, you don't go to the cinema and watch a James Bond film and just as it's getting to the <laughs> climax, you don't then get up and say, oh, I think I'll, I'll get an early bus. I um, can't argue with that logic, actually. I can't argue with it at all. F- football, we do. And, but the more so when it's a really tense game, you know, you need to score, you need to hold on and it's, you know, every second counts and then um, somebody decides they're going to leave. Leave early and again, it's like, you, you've made this effort to come here. You've paid money to see this. It's a brilliant game. It's really tense. And you're going just four or five minutes to go. What is it that's so important out there? That, uh, and, 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 and the double irritation is, why do they always sit about four or five seats along from me and have to come past me to get out? Or at least if you're going to do it, all go at the same time. And just uh, Then I'm craning my neck around to keep my eye on the ball. Why, why do people do that? Before we, dig, before we dig into this phenomenon, um, I just need to know, what do you do when they're walking past you, sort of leaving early? What, are you tutting? How are you expressing this disapproval? Well... Glaring at them. Usually, no, because they've invariably got their back to you because they're sort of trying to watch the game as they leave and block your view. So I'm usually just craning around them to try and... Uh, you, should be like, you should be like, do you want to watch this game or what? Like, yeah. are you going or are you staying? That yeah, should be it. yeah. It got me thinking about um, some particularly bad Arsenal games. Like, for example, do you remember when they lost 5-1 at home to Bayern and were 10-2 down on aggregate when they got knocked out of the Champions League in 2017? Even under those circumstances, would you... Thank you for that reminder. (laughs) Sorry, it sticks out (laughs) in the mind. Even under circumstances that bad, would you still stick around out of loyalty? I always do. I always stick around to the end, um, even if we've played really badly and lost really badly. I always do. And, you know, I pretty well always clap the players off the pitch as well. Oh, okay. So you're, oh, you're, wow. not a, you're not a booer? No. Because we were wondering. No, 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 no. no. I'm, a, I'm a proper fan. I'm there to support the team. You know, you've got to take the down with the up. And uh, <laughs> there's quite a lot of down. So even during the kind of the bad days at the end of Arsene Wenger, you wouldn't have been a sort of Arsenal fan TV guy? No, no. I think, I mean, Wenger was absolutely fantastic for Arsenal for so many reasons, for the, for the game and brilliant. And... In the end, I did think it was probably time for him to go, but I wanted him to go with dignity, etc. Uh, I, did, I didn't want him to be pushed out. And I was there, and I was there for the last game of um, his, and it was absolutely brilliant. Do you miss it? Yes and no. I think, you know, he did a massive chapter there, but it was inevitable it had to come to an end and we needed something else. So I'm not one of these people that thinks, well, bring, bring him or somebody else back. You've got to look forward. And at the moment we're building, you know, I would say this, wouldn't I? But within the Arsenal team at the moment, we're building a brilliant, there's a brilliant team in there being built, I really feel, um, you know, with uh, the young players, etc. I think they're, you know, an incredible Smith, Rowe, Martinellos, etc. Saka. These are incredibly talented players that are beginning to play well together and that's that's just brilliant to watch. I want to talk about the practicalities of leaving early. I'm not letting you off the hook on this one. Every second, every metre counts when you're trying to get a crowded tube home, I reckon. You need a little bit of leeway here, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I just don't agree. <laughs> what, what are you there for? You've gone to watch a game of football. That is why you're there. Um, you know, leaving early, it just, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll never really understand that. 
What do you What do you do when you see people sort of sneaking out of the commons? <laughs> Depends if I'm if I'm talking uh, or if somebody else is talking. Maybe we should actually introduce some of the football. You know, start waving and saying we can see you sneaking out and that sort of thing. But I, I can see a whole new. Uh, approach to Prime Minister's questions coming into vision here. Mm. You paid to be here. Stay to the end. That's what it should <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. all right for you, Keir. You walk home from this from the stadium, of course. I know. I am really lucky. I can walk to the ground and I can walk home from the ground, and that is a fantastic thing to be that close to your local club. Um, I do. I do get that. That said, the Emirates is also much better served by public transport than, for example, Tottenham, where I went. I went yesterday, and they, you know, the the provision isn't there to get all those people home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're much better served than Tottenham in so many respects, not just the transport. Although I'm really looking forward to going to the stadium. Actually, I'm going on Sunday for the away game, um, and uh, every everybody who's been to the Tottenham Stadium says it's fantastic. So. I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing that. And, and the pine Sorry. drink with the poured from the bottom up, as I understand. Yeah, fills from the bottom up. Yeah, the yeah. Novelty so. doesn't wear off, I imagine. That <laughs> no, one. well, I, I, I don't think even I can get pinged for another COVID uh, <laughs> infection before Sunday. So uh, hopefully I, I've at least got that to look forward to. One more, and I think you can officially be described as COVID prone. Yeah, or, or some sort of loyalty card, I would have thought. <laughs> If you if you get COVID three times, you get to keep it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, I had COVID. It's always on a Wednesday for PMQ. So the first time I got it was on budget day. How uh, convenient. Just just before. Then, of course, uh, a second time. But it's only 11 weeks between the two or 12 weeks. I couldn't believe I got it twice within 12 weeks. And I'd had my booster four and a half weeks before the second time. So I hope that's the end of it. Right. Let's hear about your, your second irritation of football. I really like this one. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, this is the fan commentary from the person inevitably sitting quite near you, loudly telling players what to do, someone who's obviously never, ever played football before in their life. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, having never played, they've got the absolute view at great volume, normally in your ear, for the whole game about you know, what they would do. And what they're, what they're suggesting the player should do is so obviously a balmy thing to do. But it's said with such confidence and such sort of, you know, almost obsession, usually with one player or something like that. But it's that fan, the, 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 the fan that having never played football thinks they know everything about it and must share with the stadium uh, the benefit of their very great views on what should happen next. And, and that person always picks a seat um, a row or two behind me and make sure I can hear it all the way through. <laughs> Where, at what point do you snap with this? Uh, well, yeah, I have to be careful snapping these days. As, right. Uh, leader of the opposition. Start, starting a bit of a bust up in the stadium is probably... Is it just muttering shut up under your breath? Is, is that as yeah, far as but, you go? But it's also just, you know, that sense of, you know, for God's sake, you've obviously never played. Just shut up <laughs> with, the, with the word in the middle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's it's that person that is is, is there, and, and yeah, so it's it's that person that is is, is there, and, and he senses is worse at the Emirates than it was at Highbury. Or am I being unfair on Arsenal fans? I think it may, it may be just because you can hear you can because there's, there's more people you can see and hear more people around the place, um, and of course we keep it pretty quiet at, at, at the Emirates quite a lot of the time anyway, so. You can always hear that commentary. Now, your vivid description of this this type of character, combined with the team that you support, leads us only to one conclusion here. This is uh, 
This is a clip from all the way back in 1997, The Far Show, and the character Roger Nouveau, played by John Thompson, which I think sums up exactly the phenomenon you're talking about. Really looking forward to the second half. Yes. Looking a bit grim there for us then, for a moment, wasn't it? Yeah. But that equaliser, that really sorted us out. I think with, with that boost, in the second half, we've got a good chance of hammering them. What a goal, hey? Just no one there, nobody there, and just nodded it in. It was disallowed, Tommy. It was disallowed, he was offside. They can't do that. <laughs> so we're losing there, Tommy. Yep. Well, things to do. Nice to meet you. Um, soccer! Now, Jack, I think when we're talking about a, a character like this, I feel like the their knowledge of football is directly inversely proportional to their desire to talk about it. So the more you hear, the less likely you're going to learn something. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember the last time I went to football and I heard someone shout something out. And I thought, you know what? I completely agree with that. <laughs> what, what an accurate assessment of the game that is. Uh, it just doesn't happen that way. It's always it's always the worst. The, the yeah, worst it does, it, shouted loudest. It does blow the old game of opinions chestnut completely apart because it, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks at any any point in time, especially if it's an important game, Keir, because I think yeah. the tenser the game, the more irritating it must be. Yeah, it, it really is. And yeah, just, just totally focused on the game. And this is going on. But, but, but uh, uh, you know, the point about not agree with what other people say there's that other thing which is when the injury board time goes up mm. it's always the same if you're behind it's always a really short period yeah. it's forever uh, it's just you know it's this unwritten rule and then at Arsenal maybe the same at all games the, there's no countdown for the injury time so you, yeah. you've suddenly gone from the clock you, and you've got I don't know four or five minutes whatever it is and and suddenly you're bereft you, how, just in the dark you just have no idea yeah, what's how going I on. count this time down um, mm. but yeah it's it's that moment when the ball goes up and it's always the wrong number no matter all the kind of recent developments in football that might have fiddled with the amount of time that might be needed to be played in the second half it seems to me that five minutes steadfastly remains as everybody's tipping point as a kind of the incredulous reaction to how much injury time has gone up. Five? Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody is any sort of football fan if they haven't at least twenty times in their lives screeched an incredulous five in the vague direction of a fourth official. Yeah, I, I agree. It's that. Yeah, where did that come from? That can't be right. And the, the whole stadium sort of suddenly goes quiet. Everybody's sort of looking mm. up to see what the time is uh, and how much time we've got. But as I say, you can almost guarantee. Um, you need, you're behind, it'll be short. You're ahead, it'll be long. On an- another point about injury time, especially when you think that the final whistle is imminent, we, we've covered we covered the concept of booing a lot on this podcast, but we've never actually touched on the very specific whistle that is the please blow the final whistle ref whistle. Uh, can you do a big whistle? Because I can't do it. So I can't even... I can't even imagine the impulse to want to do it at the end of a game. No, I haven't, but I've started taking our daughter and she's trying to do it and and she's getting in I took her to the City game the other week where uh, the Arsenal fans were not so happy with the ref um, and she's 11 and, and the whole stadium was rocking to a number she she started learning at pace some of the referee chants which she was very much enjoying as I was trying to put my hands over her ears. I want to run through some some of our listeners' suggestions for things that they mutter under their breath when they're watching their own team. Um, I've split these into kind of three types. First of all, 
Pessimism. This is from Josh Harland. We're absolutely shite, he says, every time I'm sat at Goodison Park. That sounds about right to me, Jack, for an Everton fan and right about now. Yeah, Ever- Everton fans, I think more than any other club in the country, seem to kind of hate their team at the moment and all of their players and the managers. It's, Everybody uh, goes through it. Everybody yeah. goes through it. Kia, the next section will be futile instruction from Matt. He simply says, edge of the box. Nobody listens. Alex Murray says, I'm guilty of yelling, do him to wingers every time they take on a defender. And uh, I like this one. This is from Adam Nathan. He says, in front of him, he shouts, when a centre-half plays the square ball to the full-back's feet instead of giving it somewhere to run onto. It's these tiny little kind of impulsive instructions that people shout just to make themselves feel better. Is that basically the way we can interpret these? Yeah, I think it is. And for me, it's very Arsenal. It's it's sort of muttering, go forward. Or even partly because of playing still, it's sort of pointing where I'm on the... Yeah. Like you're so, mentally controlling them. A, a, point, a, a pointless gesture from the stands where you're, you're sort of pointing <laughs> to the player where you think the pop ball should be passed to. Much to the amusement of my kids. So I say, they can't see you, they can't hear you. <laughs> Sit down. Um, but um, old habits die hard. This, this third section, these are the anxiety-reducing outbursts. Andrew M says, My partner has picked up on the fact that I say, Oh, nice idea, though. Nice idea to myself. Whenever an Aberdeen player fails to pick a player out with a relatively ambitious part. <laughs> again, again, this, this is almost meaningless, completely futile, but I guess it's kind of cathartic, Jack. It's like makes people feel better about the thing they're listening, as if they've got some sort of emotional control over it. Well, I think that is the real... That's, why, that's one of the reasons why people go to games in the States rather than watch on TV is if you go to the stadium you do feel like you are physically part of the spectacle and can somehow influence it whereas if you're watching on telly you just feel completely powerless That's what I yeah think. and also you're, you're around people the, the, there is very funny banter going on as well as the irritation there's really funny things people say that, um, you, you know, it, it's all part and parcel of being at the game. You'll like this final one. Uh, Elizabeth Barnard says, I watched the Euro semis with my housemates and according to one of them, I sing Three Lions Under My Breath when I was stressed. I had no idea I was doing this. One of oh. your favourite songs, I believe. I, I love that song. And um, uh, when I chose it for Island Disc, you get all these people saying, oh, I bet he doesn't really like football. He's just picking out to try and um, show how patriotic he is. I was in the stadium when we were playing Germany in that game with Gascoigne, and it was just fun. The hot, Euro 96, the whole stadium, when they were just rocking to that song. I mean, obviously it happened again this year, but that was when it really, for me, that being in that stadium in 96, rocking to um, football's coming home was just, and the whole stadium was, was, it was an amazing feeling. And it really felt like it was going to come home, except it didn't. Um, and, you know, and Gascoigne just in front of me missed mm. by, what? Oh, let's the, not the put length, ourselves through this. Let's not do this. Length of a stud, you know. So in terms of, I did that, I'm just going to evokes in me that, um, that feeling, that memory, that emotion of being in the stadium and watching England, <laughs> as again I was this year uh, at the final, watching the same thing unfold. Absolutely. Right, let's hear about your your last irritation of football. This is a very contemporary one. I like this. Yeah, no, this, this is the habit of managers to sort of do something about the food for the squad that's going to make all the difference to the team. It's a dim team team having a bad run you know what's what's the what's the silver bullet uh, we've got to get rid of the ketchup or uh, the chips the the chips are going which I think was Moyes at, at United but I mean all of this takes me back to Wenger because it was Wenger I think that sort of introduced the idea that diet and food and eating habits make a massive difference to 
the way people play, their fitness. Now, but he, he was dealing with an Arsenal squad that spent most of the time on the pints and pizzas. So he had a point. Yeah. But now it's sort of taken to this extreme where almost every manager's going to have one item on the menu that they decide they're going to remove and that's going to make all the difference. And you do... <laughs> Sometimes I think, how much ketchup are these guys actually eating? <laughs> That's the only thing you can... The immediate thing you wonder is just how much ketchup these people are putting away. But, Jack, this is more than about ketchup. This is this is a grander thing than just the ketchup. The ketchup is just the is just the Trojan horse for this sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm afraid this is our sort of stock in trade as football journalists is the, uh, the story about, <laughs> you know, like recently about Conte banning ketchup and mayonnaise and all the rest of it at Tottenham. But I kind of wonder if it's not so much about the like the dietary content of the mayonnaise, but rather just one little gesture to prove to the players that I'm in charge now and you, you don't get to do what you want anymore. <laughs> you can't have the mayonnaise. Is that, you'll respect me now. What's the official Labour policy to condiments? It'll, there'll be a, a, you know, it'll be a major rollout of a policy in relation to <laughs> um, mayonnaise, ketchup. It's going to be, you know, it'll be a, a main feature of the argument as we roll out 2022. What a page of the manifesto that would be, by the way. Um, well, that takes us full circle from ketchup to being grilled. Thanks for being grilled, Sir Keir Starmer. Glad you were true to your word and stayed until the very, very end of this. Yeah, and I, I'll read a headline um, when this comes out that I've been skewered or kebab, no doubt, um, which I look forward to. No, you held your own very well. You stood up for yourself. That's absolutely fine. Um, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And also give me lots of good ideas for... Prime Minister's questions next time. Look forward to it. Cheers to you also, Jack. My pleasure. And we'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye. The Athletic.